0: Hello, and welcome to the Flabby Bottom Flying Club Studios and the EAA Chapter 84 Podcast. I'm your host, David Weber. In this episode, we will double up the fun by talking to two chapter members, Dan Thomas and Jim Morgan. Dan's been a member for 35 years, and Jim has been involved with the chapter for over 25. Dan talks about how in his youth, he fed his aviation addiction while growing up in a small town of 500 in rural South Dakota. This eventually led to Dan building his RV6. Jim shares his wisdom on overcoming obstacles in the pursuit of his aviation goals and his appreciation for fellow chapter members. We'll also bring you some of the latest news in the chapter and in aviation. I'd like to remind you that you can like us on Facebook. You can follow the chapter on Twitter for more information on the chapter, including contact information, you can visit us at www.eaa84.org. And now, I'm excited to bring you two of our most famous chapter members, Dan Thomas. Well, welcome to the Flabby Bottom Flying Club studios. And in studio today, I have some uh, some chapter members. Dan Thomas, 35 year member with EAA Chapter 84. And Jim Morgan, 25 years with EAA Chapter 84. Welcome gentlemen. How are you doing tonight? Good, good, Yeah, thanks. A little bit of cold out there today, wet, but we'll get by in Seattle, right? Yep. Seattle weather. So I kind of want to start off here with Dan. Dan, um, you've got kind of a unique story. You grew up on a uh, Indian reservation in South Dakota. Yep. Um, tell me a little bit about growing up on the Indian reservation and how you kind of fed your aviation addiction.
1: Well, I started at probably the age of walking and talking. I was amazed with anything that could fly. So, airplanes were a, a high priority early on. And... Uh, on the reservation I lived on, I actually was born just off the reservation. Okay. But then grew up in small town, five hundred people. So when I started dabbling in model airplanes at about age ten years old, I suppose. Mm-hmm. I was probably the only kid doing that within a radius of hundred miles.
0: So now, was there like an airport
1: nearby that kind
0: of tweaked this this aviation or just spawned?
1: Most right? Most of the small towns where I grew up like that um, had an airport right on the edge of town. And our town was no different. Just a half mile strip, dirt strip, grass, whatever. And in, in when the uh, crop dusters were, if they were crop dusting in the area, they would use the airport for their base. And so that I'd see that activity. But other than that, there there was maybe only one other guy that, that had an airplane and flew in and out of there.
0: So there and, was nothing actually based at the airport? No, it was, it
1: just was pretty pretty desolate. Pretty sparse. Okay. Yeah, pretty sparse.
0: <laughs> but I was This is South Dakota, right? This is South
1: Dakota, yeah. yeah. And and a town of five hundred people and, and every other town within a hundred miles was was about the same. Some bigger, some smaller, but but about that size. So
0: so what did you do to feed this aviation addiction you had?
1: Um, I just, you know, any, any flying toy that came along. You know, I was a big customer for Mattel products. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course,
0: your mom and dad bought you all this stuff too, right? Well, they,
1: they, I they, get it for Christmas or something like that. One of, the, one of the great models I had as a kid I got because I got drug along with mom and dad on vacation. While my older brother and sister got to stay home, so to compensate for dragging me on vacation, <laughs> I got a model airplane.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It was a, it was a, an electric, uh, oh, free flight model called a Superstar. Circa nineteen so, so seventy four, seventy three. It, had, it had
0: like a rechargeable battery that you would yeah. recharge on. You wow. remember?
1: Do you remember the electric race cars oh, yeah. called Sizzlers? Oh yeah. Oh, it yeah. had two of those cells in it, two cells back to back.
0: So you would just charge it, and you get a little thirty-second flight
1: out of it, and there oh, you it, went. No, it'd fly about three minutes. Wow. Yeah. So that that was a, a a big help. Okay. And then I got my first gas-powered model shortly after that. The you know control line mm-hmm. go in a circle, get dizzy, fall down, you know, all that good stuff. Um, the first model of that. Um, my 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 dad and my brother tried to talk me out of that because, well, it's just a gas engine. You get it started once. You're going to cut your fingers. Yeah, and, and it'll, it... it'll never run again after that first time. Well, that first model I had, we crashed it like crazy, and I'd melt plastic on it to keep it you know held together, mm-hmm. keep the structure together. And I think I ran two pints of fuel through that thing, a half a pint, or half an ounce at a time. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, The engine was literally no compression, worn out, wouldn't run anymore. Just wore it out. And then my brother bought me the second one. Okay. And uh, that was a Cox model. The first one was a Testers. Was this an older brother? Yeah, seven years older. Okay. Seven years older.
0: So he's either trying to kill you or... (laughs) (laughs) Like <laughs> My brother was funny. There, there had to be something devious behind buying you something that, well, that could he, potentially hurt you.
1: I was so scared to fly in that first one, that tester's model, mm-hmm. because it was, so, it was only like a 12-inch wingspan. It was really small. And, uh, of course, an 049 creates a lot of thrust and a lot of power compared to what you're used to with an electric or a rubber band or anything else. So I was scared to fly it. And so my brother, he, he stepped up and said, I'm going to fly it. Well, he crashed it first thing right away. Mm-hmm. And so it started busting it up. So he felt kind of bad about that. So that's why he bought, bought the second one. And, uh, and then, but My brother was one of those kind of people, he could only turn a circle about three times and then he'd be dizzy and fall down. So we perfected the technique of, I would start it, hand launch it, he would fly about three orbits, Get too dizzy to fly it, I'd run out to the circle and take over while the airplane's flying in the air.
0: So now eventually that turned into something more. The, the control line went to actual aircraft. Was that in South Dakota itself? Or... Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: Well, I, I moved from control lines to radio control. We had a teacher come to town for one year. He was only in town for one year. And while he was there, I picked up radio control from him. And uh, and I kind of got a, a minimal... I, I got to where I could fly the airplane in the air after he took off and mm-hmm. did the landing. I could fly it in the air pretty reliably. And then he moved away. So, But he in, he moved back to his home area about 100 miles away, which happened to be where I was getting my eyes checked and I started wearing glasses about then. I was probably about 14 years old. And uh, so on one of those visits to see the eye doctor loaded up the airplane and took it with me, and the last time I saw him um, on this occasion, um, I did three takeoffs and one landing with a radio control plane, and then I started doing it all by myself. Oh, at great. home. great. And I didn't even crash the airplane so too was many it, times.
0: Was it hard to find a place in South Dakota to fly an RC airplane? Oh, I just go right
1: out on the airplane. <laughs> Like, like I said earlier, there's usually these small towns airport right on the fair, edge of town. Yeah. Well, my mom's house, where I grew up, was only about two blocks
0: on fair. that edge of
1: town. I just walk out there. I just carry fair. the airplane and walk out to the middle of the runway, and there was so little traffic, you know, I didn't get in any trouble or anything. It's <laughs> back in the 70s, you know. So, so you're one of those fence hangers. <laughs> yeah, there wasn't even a fence around the airport, yeah. so.
0: So then, where did you actually go and do your actual flight training well, for your pilot's that, license? Yeah,
1: interesting story. Um, a guy, a guy about my brother's age, that I met just by happened to be looking at tractors that he was working on. Um, he he had a model airplane. He had a radio control two channel radio control plane that he was trying to fly, and he kept crashing it. And so when he saw me in the barn in the tractor shed this one day. Um, he says, "Hey, you're that kid that flies radio control planes, aren't you?" And I go, "Yeah." He says, "I got one. I can't fly it. I keep crashing it. Would you teach me how to fly it?" And I go, "Sure." Well, anyway, we I get to be good friends with this guy, and we fly models together. And just shortly after I turned 18 years old, um, he says, "Hey, they're starting a ground school up in Lemon, South Dakota." Been there. Been there. Been there. It's like uh, 75 miles. From where I lived, grew oh, up. Okay. So he says they're doing ground school. on, I think it was Thursday nights at the high school or something mm-hmm. in the evening. So we started driving up there, seventy-five miles each way for ground school to go to ground school one night a week. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and so I'm 18 years old, and my mom was was uh, not enthused about this flying thing, you know, because it's dangerous and all that. But once I turned 18, she kind of decided, well, he's going to do it one way or the other. I'm not going to stop him. So she said, okay. Now, was Lemon where you soloed out of? No. So, But the, the teacher that was teaching that class, uh, we this friend of mine, mm-hmm. Gordy, Gordy Collins, we talked him into giving us flying lessons because he actually flew out of Faith, South Dakota, okay. which is only like 22 miles away. So Gordy and I started taking flying lessons from this guy who actually, he was just an instructor for this mm-hmm. family that owned like five airplanes. They had two 172s, two 150s, and a Citabria. Great. And so I, but actually I had started taking lessons um, even before, well, no, it was the same time, but I started in a different airplane. The one guy who flew out of Dupree, South Dakota, where I lived, mm-hmm. He had a Cessna 182. And when he first got that airplane, he approached me and says, well, I got an airplane again because he hadn't had one for years. He had a big family. And he says, anytime you want to start lessons, you can use the airplane. All you got to do is put the fuel in it.
0: And how old were you at this time? 18. Wow.
1: 18. So I actually started lessons in this 182 with this instructor that was teaching ground school. Um, but a 182 is a lot of airplane right. off of a half mile strip. I could get the land. I get the takeoff okay, but the landings were not so good. So, so after about I think it was about six or seven hours in the 182, then the instructor says, "Yeah, if we get you in the 150 that my boss owns, you know, you, we could get you soloed out quicker." So that's what I got. So I soloed from a Cessna 150 in Dupree, South Dakota. Oh, great. That was in May of 1980. Pretty sure it was. Yeah, May 1980.
0: And so then that eventually morphed into thinking about building your own airplane? Or how did you get into that experimental side of it?
1: I had actually already been thinking about building an airplane mm-hmm. uh, before I started ground school or flying lessons. I think I saw something in a magazine, like a Mechanics Illustrated or something in the school library. And so the very first airplane I ever saw in kit form in a magazine was a Kristen Eagle biplane, aerobatics.
0: That's not a good beginner aircraft. No,
1: but I didn't know that at the time. But as soon as I saw that just the engine for that airplane at that time was like $30,000 or something. Oh, my gosh. for For a 360 with... Constant speed tra- prop and inverted oil and fuel and all that. <laughs> it was so I was like, oh, phew, that's out of my price range. So was, <laughs> and so about that time I started ordering uh, inf- information packages like a Benson gyrocopter. I had that info kit, and then when I saw the Quickie Q two hundred,
0: and then you eventually ended up with a RV six.
1: Yeah, well, the the reason I say all this is because. um, in my mind, at the time, I, my understanding of an experimental was that it couldn't be an aircraft engine. Oh, I see. And, and like the Benson used a McCulloch chainsaw engine, okay. I think, or something. And, uh, and the Quickie used a converted Volkswagen engine. And I think I still held that information up until I was living here in Everett, Washington in 1985. I still had the impression that if you want your own experimental airplane, it can't be an aircraft engine. So I was only looking at these possibilities that would use an automotive type engine. So. Wow! So, and eventually that moves to an RV6. But yeah, once I understood that, oh, you can do an airplane and put in a Continental right. or a Lycoming aircraft engine. Like, oh, that's a whole different discussion. <laughs> so.
0: Well, hey, thanks. Um, Kind of touching on Jim here. Jim, yes. one of the things I have to say about you, and maybe I'm, I'm polishing you a little bit here, but I have to tell you that I've always been impressed and and respected the fact that you have a disability, mm-hmm. but I've never heard you cry about it, whine about it, make excuses for it. Um, Can you share some of your wisdom on how you were – Able to deal with this disability in your life and specific kind of make it specifically towards aviation, how that, uh, some of the difficulties you had overcoming uh, your aviation and your pilot's license with this disability. Oh, yeah. Well, first tell us what that disability is. No, and-
2: I, I got, I, I was born a spina bifida, and I never really considered it a disability. My parents never treated me any different than the rest of the kids. Um, so. You know, I just got just different a kid with a you know different way of doing things, and that was about it. You know, so so you um,
0: didn't know it was a disability until somebody told you it. Yeah, was. Yeah,
2: someone told me it was a disability. I go, oh well, whatever, no biggie. Um, it just never stopped me. I was always challenging myself to do things, and you know, I'd do you know I wouldn't do things necessarily like anyone else did it, but I could still do it. I always had to prove that to the other kids because. You know, never got picked for softball or whatever things like that when playing games, but uh, yeah, you know, it's kind of one of those things. But um,
0: so uh, eventually, how did that get into the aviation? Where, where when you went to get your pilot's license, or you told people you were interested in airplanes and getting your pilot's license, did you get people telling you you couldn't do this?
2: Nope, never had anyone tell me I couldn't do it. Uh, When I was a kid in junior high school, uh, we got uh, we had an after-school a uh, pro- deal where we could build model airplanes or, or model gliders, and um, you know we got to do that, and then we went to fly them. Found out that the top three people that had the longest flights got to go for an airplane ride, mm-hmm. and so you know got all permission slips and things like that, and went down to Boeing Field, and since you know no one else wanted to sit in the front seat, and since I was the oldest. I got to sit in the front seat.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. I don't I, think any of us could wrap our head around oh, yeah. somebody saying, no, I don't want to sit in the front seat yeah. <laughs> of and an then, airplane.
2: Uh, you know, I got to fly the airplane when we were flying, which was nice. I really enjoyed that. And when the um, we got back down on the ground, a uh, guy that was uh, flying us, he was an airline pilot, he asked if anyone was interested in taking lessons. And I thought about that, and I kind of go, gee, advice, Tell my dad that he'd kill me. So no. So I put that off, but I'd still build model airplanes and things like that. And then uh, after I started working at Boeing, um, you know, I worked with some people that flew gliders, and so I went out and got a ride in that and started taking glider lessons and uh, worked my way up uh, on that and got my pilot's license. I didn't have to have a third class medical. They required us. In the club to have a third-class medical, and I go, gee, can I pass a third-class medical? What's it all about? Mm. So when I got my third-class medical, no problem. <laughs> you know, which so I was kind of surprised. And, um, you know, I did that, and then I got my pilot's license, and I got my commercial rating, and then I got my CFI uh, sort of thing, and, you know, I go, hey, I want to go, um, you know, I could fly the tow plane, so I got to fly a tow plane a couple times, but um, I needed to go get my power rating, so I went over and got my power rating. And the instructors always had fun with me because they loved pulling the power back on me or you know, taking it away from me. And I go, eh, this is just a, a you know a lousy glider. So right, I, right. I, I just bring it in and, and land it. And they're always surprised how quick I could get down on the ground and stop before the entrance to the runway. And, and this usually, was at Boeing Field? that they Boeing, were? No, it's at Painfield.
0: Oh, Painfield. Yeah. Okay. This is on
2: 1129. Uh,
0: and oh, I back get, when we had one one day. Yeah, back I? when we
2: had one, one And I could get it down and stopped before the taxiway taxi out onto the runway to take off. And that always surprises them. I could do that dead stick. Yeah, and it was, it was fun. But, you know, if I got my power rating and, uh, you know, and I always looked at building a, a kid airplane and, or an airplane, uh, you know, so I think I looked at the cost of them and I go, gee, I can't afford this. and. So it was kind of, you know, you're stuck to go build an airplane. And I, you know, looked at a bunch of different airplanes and the, uh, you know, I used I learned in Grumman's, you know, like the Lynx and the Trainer and the uh, right, Yankee. Right. Um, and so they were pretty So similar. was that
0: kind of a natural transition then to the RV-6? Yes, because they were
2: similar to the RV-6. Very similar you know, size,
0: power. Very
2: nice and, uh, you know, mm. uh, nimble. Uh, sort of thing. And okay. so that's
0: kind of why you chose the RV6. Yeah, you
2: know, I, I actually uh, bought the kit before I flew it. So, and after I flew it, I go, whoa, this is a good choice. Yeah, I'm
0: sure you're not the first.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Me <laughs> too. <laughs> it, 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 was, it was good because good it looked like they are, they are, um, the Grumman's... Uh,
0: well, they're a nice looking airplane. They look like an airplane.
2: Yeah. They're it common.
0: They're around.
2: They actually flew better because it, at least with the uh, RV, you could get it off out of a short strip and land in the short strip, (laughs) whereas the Grumman, good luck, I could get it in, but I couldn't necessarily get it out of the airport if it was a small airport Mm. because it just didn't have enough power. I did did fly the um, one Grumman uh, they had with 160 horse in it, and that was a little rocket. I I really loved uh, flying that one because uh, I could go on knife edge the creator of Mount St. Helens. <laughs> which is fun.
0: You, you realize you just admitted that. Yes, I did. Okay.
2: <laughs> but, you know, it was fun. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. Hey, let's get back to chapter stuff a little bit, Dan. Mm-hmm. Um, you started the chapter in 1985. 1985. Do you remember who was president back then?
1: Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was Mark Peterson, who was uh, a real talker and just, just the perfect kind of personality to be. Is ar- he still around? I think he's back in the area. I he I know he left and moved to somewhere in Oregon. So this is the
0: preacher that Nick was alluding to right. in our last podcast.
1: Correct. Yeah, minister. I'm not sure of the denomination, but he's been the announcer up at the Arlington Fly-In mm-hmm. all these years, even though he moved to Oregon. So he's still doing that. As far as I know, and like it used to be, I don't know if they still do, but it used to be, uh, like Sunday morning during the fly-in, mm-hmm. they would have kind of a pseudo church service at the airport. Right. He would he would be the officiator at that. Oh, great! Yeah, and he would be the announcer for a lot of the air shows. So now,
0: where was that at? Was that at Payne Field that those, these meetings were were happening? Yeah, back when I joined
1: the, the Payne Field uh, Restoration Center. That loft up up above was where we had our meetings.
0: So you would walk into the restoration center, and this is the restoration center, for those that don't know, is sort of at the entrance of Payne Field on the east side, coming in on the east side entrance. Yeah, where
1: there's a Learjet on display there. Yeah,
0: that building. That building right there. And you can see there's a a BOAC Mm -hmm. uh, building, an airplane that sits there. It's been rebuild for years and yeah. years. I even worked on it years ago. And that's the restoration center. And now mm-hmm. would you guys go on the the east side entrance or was it the west side entrance that you would come in? We'd go in
1: on the west side. Okay. Yeah. And then there's a area Then there's or, a
0: loft up inside of there. There was a loft
1: up above. And
0: that's where you guys would hold the meetings. Yep. And how long do you how many years that was? Oh uh, approximately. At least
1: at least a couple of years there. Okay. And then we got kicked out. Mm. I think Nick Talked about that, right? But got, it
0: wasn't the restoration center at that time, was it? Uh, I don't think. I think Nick. Yeah, yeah.
1: I and, know there was a lot of activity. Uh, Nick, he mentioned helicopters. I don't remember helicopters being in there. There was a
2: helicopter operation in there. One of the guys that went to high school was working there. It was um, uh, what's that The helicopter. Uh, uh, like Bell or, of no, like the Robinson Bell. kind of thing? Or? Robinson, that's it. Okay. Yeah, Robinson was in there before.
1: Okay. Yeah. So after that. Yeah, then, then we got moved. They, they needed their loft back for storage because we me. were using it for free. And we got moved over to their storage hangar just a hop and a skip right. to the north.
0: Right. Like. Where the 247 was parked for several years. Yeah, Yeah.
1: about 100 feet to the north was a Mm -hmm. storage hangar with a bunch of airplanes in Mm -hmm. that Nick mentioned. And we were in there for another two or three years, probably. Okay. I think one thing that Nick maybe forgot or didn't mention was when we lost our spot at Payne Field and we first came to Snohomish, Mm -hmm. we were using the uh, PUD building. Uh, in Snohomish for about a year, I think. Yeah, I actually attended it, one or two meetings there. Before we went to the library. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. Because, again, it was a a place we could use for free. Right. <laughs> so right. we always had to have. I don't remember
0: the who the president was at that time, though. I mean, if you can, between the three of us here, just yeah. kind of list the presidents that we know of going through.
1: Um, I started with Mark... What did I say? Peterson. Peterson. Yeah. And then there was another younger fella, Steve well, Har- Wood.
0: Oh, Steve Wood. Wood.
1: W O O D. Harley Beard was in Harley there for Beard, yeah. right. And then that there was, was the guy
2: man. who had the airport over here. Oh, Hansen in the
1: valley. Oh, um, yeah, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, um, he was president one time. Uh, It'll come to me in a minute. <laughs> I'm
0: full <feel laughs> with names, though. Yeah. So then I remember Rand Martin yeah,
2: yeah.
0: and uh, Tom May, but I don't think Tom, he was president. Tom was it? secretary. He was secretary and vice Trip, president, I Jordan think. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
1: I was president for a couple of years. well, so, oh, there's one. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: <laughs> don't forget to mention that guy. That was in
1: 92, 93, somewhere around there. Yeah. Well, so Then I was building my airplane.
0: Okay, and then another name we always bat around is Doug Medima, but we can't remember if he was actually president or correct. not. That's
1: mm-hmm. correct.
0: So hopefully, we'll get that information sometime. Uh-huh.
1: Uh huh. The guy that's had the airport in the valley was started with an L. Yeah, Lamb.
2: Well, he's a, wasn't he the guy that died? Yeah, he uh, died the, in he, an accident with way his back brother. The, yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: so Jim, tell me. Kind of like, what was one of the earliest memories you had of the chapter? What was something that kind of stuck out to you?
2: Well, way back when I first got introduced to uh, chapter 84, it was up at Payne Field. And I think from uh, conversation down, I had, I think it was in the gun club there that we were meeting. It was mm-hmm. a long time ago. Um, I just remember being at Painfield, Field. I came in for uh, a couple meetings and, and I'm trying to find a. Um, an EAA chapter to get information from, or to help me with my project, stuff like. So, that. were you
0: living in the area
2: here? I was living either here or I was living down in uh, North Seattle.
0: Because you grew up North Seattle.
2: No, I grew up in, in, in on Capitol Hill in Seattle. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and um, so I came, but you know, it seemed like a bunch of crusty old guys. Uh, <laughs> there were still a bunch of
0: crusty. Old
2: yeah, guys. there were. Um, just, you know, arguing about stuff and I kind of...
0: Telling you didn't, about their operations yeah, and, and didn't really uh, find
2: their ills and pains. Yeah, were, uh, you know, kind of building... It didn't sound like anyone were building stuff or anything that I was interested like the RB, mm-hmm. And uh, another friend of mine it was going to Chapter 26 down in Seattle, so I went uh, down to Chapter 26 because I also met down there for... Um, uh, the glider uh, group. We had our meetings down there at the museum. And so I met John Amateur down there and helped him build his RV6. So and say that name again John Amateur. Okay. Do you remember like, him, Dan? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Amateur. Just like
1: Amateur, like uh, uh, the electrical gauge. Okay. Amateur, Ammeter. Yeah. Ammeter. Yeah. <laughs> Ammeter.
2: We okay. started uh, the Peaches Sound RVators, which was uh, the builders group for all the people that were building RVs. And we started collecting tools and things like that to lend tools out to people. And also to help people, you know, build RVs. Uh, so i got a lot of information out of uh, John for how to build my airplane. I also found, um, you know, what mistakes he made so I wouldn't make them on my airplane. Also saw modifications I could make to my airplane to help me later on uh, in building it and also afterwards for maintenance. Because I was smaller than John. Um, so I was always on my belly up underneath the instrument panel working on brakes or the mm-hmm. uh, battery or something back in there. And it was kind of difficult because you're still off the floor. You're not laying on the floor exactly. Yeah. And so I modified mine so I just had some plates I could take off and get back down in there without having to crawl in there. Yeah. Really Find amazing. a solution.
0: I found solutions.
2: Then uh, uh, I met Dan, uh, and you know, started coming to the uh, chapter eighty four group, which had improved immensely. Uh, It seemed to be a lot more builders uh, than they had before. They were just kind of flyers back when I went the first Mm -hmm. time and uh, got lots of help, which was
0: good. So, Dan, you mentioned something uh, that you were president. For a while, you're also, as I remember, uh, our young eagles coordinator for several years.
1: Yeah, I think I did that for four years.
0: Is there any anything in particular that stands out when you were flying young eagles, any young eagle at any time? Well, when
1: I was coordinator for four years, I just I would ran the ground operation. Okay. So. So, would you get to fly? No, I didn't do any flying okay. during those four years. After after I. Tossed the baton, handed the baton over to uh, Rich. Rich, yeah, yeah, Rich Morrison. Then I started flying kids myself, and yeah, one one noticeable thing there was uh, up at Arlington, I flew the same kid. Like she would, she would wait until she could fly in my airplane. And and she I think so sort last, of a
0: groupie. A, a young eagle groupie is yeah, what you're an saying.
1: Eagle and I think the last time I took her up, that was like the third time she had rode with me. And how
0: old was she at that time?
1: This last time I took her, she's getting just about near the end. She was about sixteen, I okay. think. Okay. But I must have flew her like when she was so twelve. Do you, and, you think you've inspired her? I don't know. She she likes to, to fly in, in that airplane, but I don't know if she'll go any further with it Mm -hmm. I think yeah I must have flew her when she was 12 and then again when she was 14 and then when she was 16 but if she saw my airplane there she her mom says that she would wait until she could get a ride with me
0: (laughs) I remember uh several years ago now when you were the coordinator we were doing flights out at Payne Field Mm -hmm. and uh I got the the pleasure to fly uh, a young boy and uh his uh his he obviously was from ukraine i mean mm-hmm. you could, mm-hmm. you could tell mm-hmm. and his his dad i assume it was his dad um spoke absolutely no english mm-hmm. whatsoever right yeah. so as i'm talking he's interpreting to his dad oh, okay and uh and that the english the dad had was yeses and nos and maybes and and uh so i kind of gave the, the the trivia to the kid as we're walking around what's this and what's this and i'm starting to ramp this up because he's like elevator aileron trim tab you know and i'm like what's this he's like pitot tube and i'm like whoa this mm-hmm. this kid knows what what's going on i'm saying, so then i'm like what cylinder is this on the engine? he goes that's a coming. That's cylinder number one on that side. <laughs> Whoa! So I looked to the dad and I said, "How does he know all this?" And the dad looks at me in this very Ukrainian accent and goes, "YouTube, YouTube. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Everything's there. <laughs> oh, definitely, this is good."
0: So, Young <laughs> Eagles, what a what a inspirational thing! I always come back and feel a lot lot really good after doing a Young Eagles flight. So. Yeah. Thanks for that four years of service and doing mm-hmm. that. I appreciate it. Jim, yeah. Young Eagle flight that, that sticks out to you? Well, Anything uh, to do with the Young Eagles?
2: I didn't really do much Young Eagles because uh, my airplane, you know, I wasn't. Uh, but you
0: were there helping us several times. Oh, yeah, I, I remember you up at Payne Field helping us. Yeah, I always us
2: helped, uh, you know, doing the uh, paperwork uh, yeah. type stuff. I was always trying to help that out. To, you know, but, uh, I just was didn't, you know, as far as. Insurance-wise and stuff, I didn't really want to be taking kids up. I, I did that in the past, uh, you know, when I was an instructor and in gliders and that, and loved taking kids up. You know, I had one little kid I was a student, 12 years old, uh, take him up flying, and he'd you know, fly the airplane, flew great. He flew model airplanes, come back down, get out of, get out of the plane, go to his bicycle, go ride the bicycle for a couple hours, and then. Come back and take another flight, you know. <laughs> so you fun.
0: so you mentioned that your your RV six wasn't quite done yet. So no. what uh, what kind of stumbling blocks did you have during that build? What what was the things that you had to overcome? Well, I think
2: it's the common one is money,
0: money time, money. What makes an airplane fly?
2: Money and money. time, and also knowledge of you know what to do. Okay, and uh, I was trying to get information. I worked, you know, Boeing. And I worked in aerodynamics, propulsion, flight deck, uh, avionics. And so each group that I worked in, I was basically tapping, you know, people's knowledge of how to do this or how to do that, you know, to help me along on my project so that I would... So you
0: were that annoying guy at work, I was the annoying right? guy, yeah. exactly,
2: exactly. <laughs> I was always sitting there asking, um, how do you do this or how do you do that, and... I learned a lot, uh, you know, because I worked uh, performance uh-huh. uh, stuff in, in Arrow and did flight tests for Boeing. Okay. Uh, so actually I got to fly a 747 once in the right seat, Great, oh. which was fun when we were doing flight tests. The co-pilot left, and pilot uh Did you pull it. a
0: Tex Johnson?
2: No, it wasn't Tex. <laughs> no, um, the, uh, the uh, pilot knew was, uh, you know, I had a rating uh, sort of thing, and so, didn't have a jet rating, but he let me sit in the right seat. He says, you want to fly it? We're between conditions, trying to burn fuel off. I said, sure. And so I got to fly the airplane. It's like driving a Cadillac. I spent a lot of time down in the flight simulators because uh, one of my partners in a glider uh, worked down in the simulators, and he was a programmer down there. and Had to go test the program, so he says, come on down. We'll go test the programs. And so I get to fly the simulator down at uh, wow, that's pretty down, down at the Longacre site. So it was, it was a lot of fun. Wow, doing that. Uh,
0: that that's that sounds. I I know I would have appreciated that.
2: Oh yeah, it was nice to learn all the systems. I took one of the classes uh, at Boeing to be able to get in an airplane, you know, seven forty seven, and go through all the instruments and start the damn thing up. They taught us how to start the thing. Yeah. <laughs> But that was one. This is one of the classes. The other that would classes I would be
0: impressed, except there was a guy at sea Tech that started a Q four hundred without any experience. Yeah, yeah, to supposed to. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
2: but it was, it was nice. I, I just like to fly, you know, have the experience of flying anything and get my hands on. Great, and had the opportunity to go fly an A six simulator. Up at uh, yeah,
0: whether it left the ground or not, you yeah, want to fly. whether it left
2: the ground or not, got yeah. to fly the A six simulator up at Wow, uh, Island and uh, get simulated launch off a carrier deck and then try to land it back on the carrier deck. But when you're trying to land it on the carrier deck, you're throwing all sorts of crap at you. So you get to land in the drink or you have to have to do a go around.
1: It's
0: almost like they wanted you to fail.
2: Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> it it interesting.
1: Yeah. I could make one more comment about the Young Eagles sure. program. Um, I remember when that started, mm-hmm. it was in about, wasn't it about 1990? And young sounds about right. Mm-hmm. Somewhere about then. And I remember when that program first started, um, Chapter 84 membership in general was not very receptive. Mm-hmm. There was a big concern about the liability. liability yeah, it still it is. is. It still yeah. is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it, So it really didn't take off with Chapter 84 until Tom man, man. took it over from... Uh, I
0: just the, flew Tom's, the, the, Tom's grandson.
1: Did you? You did. Yeah, cool. For Young Eagles. Yeah. But when uh, the WPA guys, like Rich Jones, yeah, when when he kind of handed good. that off to Tom Mayhem mm-hmm. for chapter, because they needed a chapter to, to kind of spearhead it, even though yeah. a lot of the airplanes were WPA yeah. guys at Pain Field, that's when chapter 84 kind of really took off with it. Great. But up mm-hmm. until then, we were kind of, mm-hmm. yeah, we're not too sure about this.
0: Hey, one more question before we move on to our uh, different segment here. Uh, One more question for Dan, which is, hey, unlimited budget, what would you build next?
1: With an unlimited budget? Unlimited budget. Oh, unlimited budget. You just
0: won the lottery, pal.
1: Won the lottery.
0: Your rich uncle died, left you everything.
1: I guess it it wouldn't take a big – wouldn't take that kind of a budget, but I'm, I'm still enamored with the tandem wing, canard, quickie, dragonfly configuration kind of airplane. But I'm not that crazy about the composites, so if I could create that airplane out of aluminum, I think that would be really cool. That's crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> it might not look exactly like it's supposed to. but Well, you
0: know. if you have an unlimited budget, you could probably pay somebody to help you do a lot of the sanding and a lot of the dust work, right? For,
1: for a composite. Well, but that's the other thing. The composite airplane is pretty small. I don't yeah. know if I could fit in one very
0: good. So unlimited budget, maybe you make a Bigger. larger
2: size version. it for yourself
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> quickie we'll call it the bubba quickie <laughs>
1: yeah or as i would probably call it the quirky the quirky there you go i think it's a quirky flying airplane that's that's why i'd, I'd love to fly one to see what it's like
2: or the modern male airplane because we're bigger <laughs> yeah yeah
0: that's why they built rv14 right yes
2: all right hey let's get into our our, our final segment
0: here gentlemen and uh, i kind of like to call this the uh the suggestion box segment. Um, let's get a little bit into uh, what you guys think that we could do uh, as a chapter. Uh, once this pandemic is pandemic, pandemic yeah, is over pandemic. with. Pandemic. Pandemic, <laughs> yeah. That was a Freudian slip there. <laughs> um, once this pandemic is behind us, what do you think the, the chapter can do to get members excited about participating
1: again? Hmm. I think the, the, historically the project visits always sparked a certain amount of interest. You
2: agree with that, Jim? Yeah, I think the project visits are really good. Keeps people enthused. And then, you know, as well as like flyouts. 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 Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. We haven't done a flyout for quite some time.
1: Yeah. And, and if we could do a better job at, at having an empty seat that that another chapter member could get into to Mm -hmm. go, to go on the flyout. Oh. Some of those building
2: that, you know,
1: is not flying.
0: So would you say just chapter members or chapter members in their family? I mean, how would you, would you kind of like limit that to nothing but chapter members?
1: Probably, yeah. Okay. Just, um, I know that most everybody has a, a, at least a two seat, well, not everybody, some are single seat, but, mm-hmm. but if you have a two seater or a, mm-hmm. a four seater airplane, you know, don't don't bring all your kids with you, kind of maybe set it up so So somebody, somebody from the chapter who doesn't have an airplane can get in and go to the fly-in too. That way.
0: Mm -hmm. So do you guys think that we should continue with the the virtual, even if we do end up coming back in person? Do you think we should continue to stream?
2: Sure, can't hurt. If we could save it on the website, that'd be great. So that people that can't attend the meeting can look at it. Mm -hmm. That's what some of my other groups have been are planning on doing too. Um,
0: All right, so then here's the uh, the question that keeps coming up over and over again. Heard it throughout the years. How do we get the youth interested, specifically? Let's talk experimental aviation.
1: That's a tough one. Um, I know it seems, in, from my observations, that, that, that there's always going to be a, a few kids like myself. I don't know what that number is, one in one in one thousand or mm-hmm. one in one in five thousand or something that that they're going to go for it no matter what they're just crazy about right. it. But as far as those others that that just need a little boost, um, yeah, I don't know.
0: Do you think there's some sort of a a gateway that we could use to get those those youth interested? The young eagle
1: flights definitely help. Okay and, uh, and then I think if you get get a young eagle person to, to, to maybe just try coming to one of our meetings and, and something like that, maybe they get a little even hooked a little better. How do we bring that cost
0: down though for those kids? That's that's kind of really where I'd like to focus. And, and again, experimental, how do you get a kid to the point where they want to build, they want to experiment, um, in aviation to me I, I see um, we sort of have this society that keeps morphing towards a, a tab a into slot B you see that with our kits mm-hmm. 30 years ago there was
2: the catch right yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. You, you built plans and those plans weren't exactly great mm-hmm. um, but now we have these these kits that are pre-punched pre-drilled mm-hmm. how can we bring that to the youth can we can we do something that we're Let's say as an example we show up with a bunch of <clears throat> 3d printed parts that they can build a, a drone out of
1: mm. um, yeah that'd be a good idea
0: you know something that they could fly around yeah. uh, even maybe take it to a virtual goggle kind of uh, a scenario mm.
1: mm-hmm. that would be definitely something to try
2: yeah. also I think you know uh, when we do have our flyouts or our new uh, young eagles flights if we do them out of uh, Snohomish sure. That we show them any of the projects that we've got in the hangar, so I mean, and maybe get them to have a hands-on uh, sort of thing. I mean, you know, it's like that. Back-
0: maybe we could get airport uh, permission to have a, a small school bus that we load up the kids on and take them to a couple of the projects and see what happens.
2: And then we get parent permission slips, and well, the parents could go with. Yeah, yeah, she's exactly. In there. But that would be just on on the field here. Yeah, yeah, I think that would that would really help if the kids can actually put their physical hands on something mm-hmm. and maybe actually do something that's going to go on the airplane, and and show them you know that it's not that difficult. It's just getting the knowledge and the ambition to do it. Well, I'm hoping that this kind of stirs some some thought
0: process with some mm-hmm. other members, and maybe yeah. somebody can come up with a good idea and. And better yet, lead that mm-hmm. that cause because I think, uh, as we all know, the more pilots that we have, especially with youth, the better off we're going to be.
1: Yeah. One well, last, oh, go ahead, Dan. Well, we probably shouldn't lose sight either of how we got started. Oh yeah, with the model airplanes, model airplanes right. that got us started, um, both of us, and, and the drones are kind of in that along those same lines because the latest, it, a newer yeah, a newer version of, the, of it. That's
0: kind of like this generation's model yeah, yeah. is is that drone, and if they can build it. Can of get that that juices flowing if I built this, not just put down a mm-hmm. 100 bucks and, and there it is. Yeah. yeah. That, you know, oh, yeah. what do they call it? Uh, delayed gratification. That's, yep. that's mm-hmm. the word I'm looking for, right? Yeah. The phrase I'm looking for.
2: Yeah. yeah. I mean, could we do something like that for an airplane uh, type of thing too? Because besides being like a helicopter, one like an airplane.
0: Well, and then if you had like the 3D printer right there right. printing out the part, as it's happening, Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. would, you know, that really piques their interest too. They see that part coming out Mm -hmm. and then that, that juice starts flowing on what I could design and build. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about what uh, our last interviewer, Nick Gentry talked about. Um, He stated that he sees that a significant number of members leave or quit the chapter after finishing their plane. Any ideas on how we could keep membership, keep those people that, that finish an airplane, keep them coming back? I know, Dan, you finished your airplane quite some time ago, and yet you still keep coming back for um, punishment. Yeah,
1: I seem to be one of the oddballs that uh, that just won't go away. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, there's been a number of guys that that were in the chapter while they were building, and maybe that first year they started flying. And then somehow and I I've talked to some of them and but I, I never do get a a complete answer as to you know why they stopped coming. But it was just like I think something to the effect that, well, I I got my airplane done and it's flying and, and yeah. I'm not I'm not learning anything new or more by being in the chapter, so they quit coming. So I don't know.
2: I think it would get them to Pass on their knowledge to other people that are building, and that yeah, gives them some self worth.
0: Great point, Jim. You
2: know, um, there's say, a lot of knowledge
0: there that yeah, just leaves when yeah, they leave.
2: Exactly. I mean, I've I've learned so much being in the chapter about how to uh, do this or do that uh, sort of thing, and then how I can improve my airplane further or do something a little bit different next time I have to do one of these tasks. It's like Wayne uh, uh, Stafford. Stafford, yeah. Stafford, yeah. Um, he uh, talked about wiring when he was in the military and using the uh, DB9 or DB.
0: Yeah, the crimp pin.
2: The, the crimp pins, yeah. And use those for connectors because they're gold plated so they don't corrode mm-hmm. and it makes a smaller bundle. Uh, yeah. And it's a, a great contact. I, I didn't know they did that. And, you know, use just those pins and not have them in a receptacle. Huh. But yeah, I think that was something I'm going to start to use. So I don't have to use the uh, spade pins or anything like that uh, to put uh, my wiring together, and it'll make a smaller bundle. Uh, and I can get through the grommets and, and stuff. But just learning stuff like that from you know, members that have uh, got up and spoke about what they did here or there, I think that helps.
0: What do you think about some sort of a, an honor position yeah. for somebody who's been at the chapter for so many years, you know, mm-hmm. or, uh, Longest... some sort of a, a, a lapel or maybe a name badge. It's got something that signifies that. Well,
2: yeah, it's like we get, uh, you know, pins for being in, uh, uh, is it EAH? Officers T- and stuff. Well, no, there. the pins oh. for years, a- AOPA gives you a uh, – a pin for 20 years being with AOPA. And, oh, and they give you a 25 or 30. Kind of a milestone, milestone pins, recognition yeah. thing. Oh, okay. And something like that would be good for the chapter. You know, give, give them a little snoopy. I'll have to say that um,
1: even though I've stayed in the chapter long after my airplane was mm-hmm. done, I don't get a lot of questions from people, you know, from Maybe other that's people. a problem. Yeah, maybe people don't realize that that I might know how to help them or something. Right. But um, as far as passing along what I've learned from mm-hmm. building my airplane, I think the most I've ever done in that regard was when we do like the riveting mm-hmm. demonstration yes. up at the Arlington Fly-in. Yeah. That's about the main time that I can think of when I passed along mm-hmm. how to do solid rivets or something and show people that it's really not that difficult and you can pick it up in just a a few minutes or sure. an hour or something. It yeah. doesn't
2: take long at all. Yeah. Building those widgets. Right. For kids, that's, I mean, that's a big help. That's yeah. a big help. It shows kids they can do something and they can take that home with them. Yep. I mean, that's that's been a really uh, good incentive, I think, to show people you can do this.
0: Hey, gentlemen. I want to thank you both for coming down tonight mm-hmm. and uh, talking with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we I haven't have. solved the world's problems... <laughs> I don't know who couldn't, right? <laughs> um, hope to see you guys soon. I know that this pandemic has uh, kind of put a, a crush on us visiting, but boy, oh boy, I absolutely love this uh, this face to face time. And mm-hmm. uh, even though good we you, even though we are practicing our good social distancing uh, uh, directives. Um, I think there's nothing better than face-to-face time with fellow aviators.
1: Yeah, I agree. Mm -hmm.
0: Thank you again, gentlemen, for coming tonight. Thanks Mm -hmm. for
2: having us. Thanks for having me.
0: And now for some news. Hey, we've landed on Mars again. NASA's Perseverance rover successfully landed on Mars February 18th, completing a nearly seven-month journey from Earth and beginning a years-long exploration of the Red Planet. The rover landed about 1.7 kilometers southeast of the center of the landing zone. The spacecraft's terrain-relative navigation system, which matches images taken as it descends against onboard maps, helped guide the rover to a flat landing area, avoiding rocky, hazardous terrain. A key aspect of the mission will be to collect samples of a wide range of Martian rocks, including those that scientists believe contain biosignatures, or evidence of past life. Perseverance will cache those samples either in selected locations on the surface or on the rover itself. Those samples are to be returned to Earth by two later missions that will launch no earlier than 2026. Most interesting to the aviation community is that the rover will launch a small helicopter called Ingenuity. This will attempt to be the first powered flight in the Martian atmosphere. Such vehicles could serve as scouts for astronauts on future missions. For more news and up-to-date information, you can go to one of my favorite websites, spacenews.com, or if you want to go directly to the source, visit mars.nasa.gov mars2020. Hey, Oshkosh 2021 is on! July 26th through August 1st. EAA CEO and Chairman Jack Pelton said, we will be hosting AirVenture 2021, but there will be areas that will look different and areas where we'll incorporate technology to limit touch points, as we work with local and state officials to establish and maintain the best possible standards for public events. Masks will strongly be encouraged if you are unable to social distance roughly six feet. Proof of COVID vaccine will not be required to attend. Increased physical distancing will be encouraged in all areas. EA is adding significant number of sanitizing facilities and working with industry-leading companies for continual disinfection throughout the grounds. Theater in the woods, forum pavilions, and other outdoor venues will operate with reduced seating capacity with social distancing opportunities on the open grounds at that location. There will be fewer exhibitors in each indoor exhibit building, creating more walkways and separation between exhibitors. Additionally, venues on the grounds will be repurposed to accommodate indoor exhibitors that are moved this year. Wherever possible, ventilation will be increased in tents and indoor facilities. I sure hope to see you there! In local chapter news, I'd like to encourage chapter members to participate in the Tech Counselor Program. This program gives you a great opportunity to get a second set of eyes on your aircraft project before it flies or throughout the entire build. As someone who does Tech Council visits, I can tell you that most people are really encouraged and very pleased after having somebody come take a look at their project. Things can be found And safety is increased. And finally in chapter news, our program for March will be John Consul, also known as Jughead. Jughead will talk about stole competition and stole drags. There's nothing currently on the docket for April, but May will bring Dark Arrow aircraft. Dark Arrow's mission is to design an aircraft with the speed, range, and efficiency that currently does not exist in experimental aviation that wraps it up for this episode i hoped you enjoyed the interview with club members dan thomas and jim morgan this has been your host david weber from the flabby bottom flying club studios please share this podcast with a few friends and come back and visit us next time and remember stay off the brakes keep moving forward